For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. My Believe in Broncos podcast is presented by my friends at Superbook Sports. They have the most favorable pricing and better odds. They are the leader in Las Vegas for over 30 years. They have extensive wagering menu for everything you want to bet. And the mobile app, it's now available at Superbook.com. Coming soon, they will be at the Lodge Casino in Blackhawk. So sign up today and start betting. Welcome to the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rank from Denver 7. Thanks as always for joining me. It's a wonderful summer day here in northern Colorado. The heat is back. Feels like summer. Feels like OTAs. And that's what's going on this time of year. It's interesting. It's fascinating. And then sometimes it's really deceiving because it's not padded practices. It's not training camp. So you have to be careful in drawing too many conclusions. But you certainly can get a glimpse of a team's progress, especially a team like the Broncos. It's coming off four straight losing seasons, five straight years without the playoffs. And oh, just saying that out loud is hard to believe. First team in history to win a Super Bowl and then miss the postseason five consecutive years uh, following that win. So things are starting to look up. There's certainly some encouraging signs, and I'm going to get into those today. The topics on the show, number one, top five players on this team and how that is revealing this team is to turn it around. The progress needed for Lloyd Cushenberry, and what is the key to making this defense special? Everyone talks like it's a done deal that they're going to be a top five defense. And on paper, this team has a chance to be really good defensively. But there are some keys when you dig into the numbers that will either allow this defense to prosper in a way that we haven't seen, frankly, since 2016, obviously 15, but the last great defense they had was 16. And there's things in the numbers that reveal that if they don't change, this defense, regardless of who's on it, will not be considered special in any regard. So, again, thanks for joining me. I am your host, Troy Rank from Denver 7. Having a blast doing these podcasts, getting good guests. Uh, we'll have more coming up in the following weeks, and certainly as training camp begins in July, uh, we will have some uh, terrific guests as well. But thanks for the support, and we'll dig right into it, shall we? I was going over the roster while I was watching practice on Monday at OTAs. We had a long viewing period for the offseason, uh, roughly 30, 40 minutes. And just kind of looking at this roster and thinking, who were the top five players on this team last year? Who would you all consider the top five players? And for me, it is revealing, and it also suggests why this team needs improvement across the board at certain areas. Top player last year? I don't say by a large margin, but certainly the top player was left tackle Garrett Bowles. Second team All-Pro, didn't allow a sack, 
He cut down dramatically on his holding penalties. He went from a guy whose future was completely uncertain, you know, a left tackle who was going to be left out, to suddenly he's the right guy and he's a cornerstone player, received a new contract late last season and is viewed as a cornerstone player. And give Bowles all the credit. He just put his head down. He took the criticism and used it as motivation. Didn't make excuses. Realized that he had to get better, and he did. So he was their best player last season. Second best player for me, safety Justin Simmons. I don't think he was as good as he was in 19, but the team had 16 takeaways. He had six of them. He is a playmaker. He has unbelievable center field range, sideline to sideline, in a passing league that has extreme value. Uh, he's a smart player, and he is used properly in Vic Fangio's system to maximize his ability. But for me, second best player, Justin Simmons. And then Bradley Chubb received his first Pro Bowl berth despite missing some time with an ankle injury at the end of the year, despite coming back slowly at the beginning of the year following ACL surgery. He is a guy that is a disruptive player, and don't just get caught up in the sacks. He is a very disruptive player, a full player in that he can defend the run, and he forces teams to make tough decisions on the interior defensive line, uh, the way they slide coverage. Fifth best player last year, or excuse me, fourth best player last year, Tim Patrick, the receiver. Six touchdowns. Um, offensively, he was their best skill player, their most consistent. You could argue it's Melvin Gordon because he had 10 touchdowns. Melvin gets uh, dinged for me a little bit in this regard because of the fumbles. Fumbles that cost them at Tennessee and another loss. And also, he didn't you know, have the job throughout the season. All Tim Patrick did following the loss of Cortland Sutton was to put together a wonderful season and be reliable, and he did not have a drop pass the entire year. He was their most consistent offensive player. I'm interested to see how this pieces fit together with Cortland Sutton returning and Jerry Judy absolutely growing in leaps and bounds this offseason in OTAs. But there's a role for Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick is a winning player. So he's fourth and fifth for me, Kareem Jackson, the safety. Brings the noise. He lights up people like the Vegas Strip. And, you know, he didn't have the the big games he did the year before at the Chargers at Houston. But he still has big hits, big moments. He creates and inspires fear on the back end. And when I look at their defense, you could argue, you know, Alexander Johnson, he was inconsistent last year. He did not take the next step forward. I think he'd be the first one to tell you that. And he didn't have any big plays. Um, Josie Jewell. Really good in run rush defense. He's a good tackler. Did not have many explosive plays. Had a couple of really good blitz situations. But for me, my top five, Garrett Bowles, Justin Simmons, Bradley Chubb, Tim Patrick, Kareem Jackson. Let me know what you all think. Hit me up at Troy Rink on Twitter, T-R-O-Y-R-E-N-C-K, your top five. Uh, let me know where you saw it going. And then as we move forward this summer, we'll look at who you think their top five players will be this year. And if you list Aaron Rodgers as one, I won't blame you. We're all sitting here with a wandering eye, wondering what's going to happen with Rodgers. He's now officially a holdout, not reporting to OTAs for the Green Bay Packers. You have Packers beat writers who've been there for a long time who are saying on every radio show that they do not expect him to play another down with the Packers. So, of course, if you're a Broncos fan, you keep an eye on that. And wonder, if all this attention we're paying to the court, current quarterback derby of Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke 
is uh, wasted download space because of the fact that they won't be the quarterback. But doesn't mean Green Bay has to trade him. It's just that Rodgers, the next milepost in this, he is now officially a holdout. If he holds out in training camp next month, in so late July, that's when I think it gets real. Will the Packers call his bluff and just say, sit out, fine, try to retire? Or will they say, hey, play for us for one year, we'll give you crazy money, and let's not get divorced, let's stay together for the kids for one more season, and then we'll cut you after this season to make you a free agent, allow you to go where you want? Or do they say, we need to maximize it and get the most we can for him now? Frankly, part of this is going to see how Jordan Love does with these additional reps and OTAs. Because if they felt Jordan Love was ready, I think the Packers, knowing their history, kind of how they dealt with Brett Favre, I think they would move on from Aaron Rodgers. As crazy as that sounds, to move on from an MVP, the reigning MVP, I think they would be inclined to. But obviously they don't think think Love is ready because they're allowing this to play out with Mark Murphy, the team president, saying it's dividing the fan base. So it's an issue, and it's not resolved. So as Broncos country, you can keep an eye on it, because the Broncos are one of the few teams this offseason that would be prepared to make a move for Rodgers and also have the salary cap space and have a destination that I know from you know talking to sources, he'd certainly be interested in playing in Denver, a place he likes. So all those things to keep an eye on. But when we go back to that top five player list from last season, Bowles, Simmons, Chubb, Patrick, Jackson, it brings up a question of should there be more offensive linemen and is that a reason that is holding this team back offensively beyond the poor quarterback play? We'll talk about that after the break. My show is presented in part by Hoggett Injury Law. With us, it's personal. Speaking of personal, let me tell you about my friend Darby Hoggett. I've known Darby for about a decade, coached his son in travel baseball. We used to hang out at games, talk about sports, especially the Denver Broncos. He's a big fan. We have become good friends. In fact, many of his clients have become his good friends. You don't even have to pay Darby up front. If your case goes as planned, Darby will be the one writing checks to you. If you've been hurt in a car wreck or injured at work, give his team a call at 1-833-HOGGETT. That's one 1- 833-H-O-G-G-A-T-T, or find out more, visit their website at www.hoggetlaw.com. Welcome back to my Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rink from Denver 7, talking to you here midweek as the Broncos plow through OTAs, um, and next week we'll have mandatory mini camp, so that will be the return of Melvin Gordon, Kyle Fuller, has returned, so now we're really down to only Melvin Gordon. We haven't seen this offseason. You can go back and listen to my podcast with Melvin Gordon. He explains, you know, his training is his training. He's done things the same way uh, his, basically his entire career. So I expect he'll be ready and he'll be in shape, but he's going to be in a battle. Javante Williams turning heads early in camp. But for either of those running backs to have a huge year, whether it's Gordon, who has told me he believes he can lead the NFL in rushing still, and he said his, in his words he's sick of getting overlooked. Or Javante Williams, a running back who's an absolute bowling ball with legs, who seeks contact, plays violently. Um, if either of those guys have a big year, yeah, they need improved play from the offensive line. And at one position specifically is at center, Lloyd Cushenberry. This offseason when I tweeted that, I wondered aloud, 
would they move Graham Glasgow to center, keep Dalton Reisner at left guard, and then play uh, Latane Mute at right guard? Would that be considered? I was told by the Broncos sources that's not something they were considering, and but I wasn't completely off base. The reason I said that is Lloyd Cushenberry, as a rookie, while this kid's a tireless worker, loves the game, he did not play well the first eight games of the season. And because of that, his overall grade in pro football focus, and you can take it with a grain of salt, totally understand it. Some of their grades are, you know, they, they are eye-opening in the wrong ways. But with offensive linemen, it does give you at least a metric to compare. And in the case of Cushenberry, he ranked dead last among centers in the overall ranking. And that is a reflection, frankly, of him really struggling the first eight games of the season where I saw him getting ragdolled consistently. Uh, he ranked, he had a 40.5 ranking uh, in terms of his grade where Corey Lindsay, Lindsley, uh, who's now moved on from the Packers to the Chargers, his, by comparison, 86-4. Cushenberry ranked 36th overall among all centers, dead last among, frankly, those who played significant snaps. And he was dead last in run blocking at 37.9 grade and sixth worse in pass blocking at 47.6. And this, the, the, the purpose of this is not to wear out Lloyd Cushenberry. It is to tell people when I was tweeting about it that Lloyd needed to improve this idea. Well, we got a young player. We're good there. No, it's not that way in the NFL. It's not high school and college that a guy started, so we're fine. We've got a starter. No, there's an ex expectation and level of play required to keep that job on a winning team. And I think sometimes that gets lost, that a player starting on a losing team doesn't necessarily have his uh, job guaranteed moving forward if you're trying to become a winning team. And Lloyd Cushenberry spoke with us this week, and I loved his self-awareness. The fact that Lloyd played on a championship team at LSU. He was the last member of his signing class of that LSU uh, class. And he ends up playing for a national championship. All he did was work. Turned himself into an uh, all-conference center. But the pros and the NFL, as he realized, especially without OTAs last year, it's a different animal. Totally different. And the, the guys you're facing every week in the NFL, there's no easy games. No easy games in the NFL. And he learned that. And I, we were able to talk with him. And I was able to ask Lloyd Cushenberry some questions about that. And he had some revealing answers about his play last season and what is the key moving forward. That experience in the NFL, did you have to add any strength, change body type after a season in the NFL? Then I have a follow-up. But did you feel like physically there any changes were needed this offseason as you enter year two? I feel like every year. Uh, you got to get stronger. You got to get faster. Uh, you got to tweak tweak certain things. And definitely um, going into the off season, I you know just went straight to work, uh, knowing how I played last year and how unacceptable that was. I had to change a lot of things. So, and that, that's going to be every year uh, in my career. So, definitely uh, focus on strength. Focus on uh, getting a little bit more twitchier. And you know, I, I feel like uh, yeah, that's that's just how it is for everyone. And then secondly, as a center, is it difficult at all not knowing who the quarterback's going to be? How do you approach that? Because you're literally at the center of that, that derby of the, between Teddy and Drew. 
Yeah, it's, it's a little different, but at the same time, you can't really focus on that. You got a job to do. Um, you know, no matter who whose hands, uh, who's behind under center, you know, uh, you got to give them the ball. You got to protect them. But both guys have been great. Uh, they've been rotating in, and I feel comfortable with either one. Whatever um, coach decides, you know, that's what we're going to roll with. Welcome back. Again, that was Lloyd Cushenberry talking about, you know, when I asked him about getting stronger this offseason, which he's clearly, when you look at him, he's, he's added weight. Um, but he also said one of the keys moving forward is the fact that he's had the support of offensive line coach Mike Munchak, a Hall of Famer as a player and considered one of the best assistant coaches in the NFL, position coaches in the NFL. And he appreciates the support he's received from him. So Lloyd Cushenberry was not surprised when the Broncos drafted Quinn Miners and said he's going to compete for the center job. It would be a surprise only because Quinn, if Quinn were to win the job, only because he's never played center at any level. He was teaching himself. So he is learning on the fly with Munchak. But again, self-awareness from Cushenberry to say he was not surprised based on how Cush played last year. And, but he did have some uh, very revealing comments about Mike Munchak and how that could help him moving forward. Yeah, working with Munch, you know, it's amazing. He's a Hall of Famer. He know he obviously knows what he's talking about. He's worked with a lot of great offensive linemen, a lot of great centers. So I just try to uh, soak in, take in everything that he's he's taught me. Uh, and throughout the course of last year, there's one thing I, I told him at the end, uh, end of the year meeting is throughout all the ups and downs, you know, he always had confidence in me. He always instilled confidence in me, uh, even when I was struggling. Everybody knew I was struggling. And I was down on myself. He always believed in me to, to keep sticking with me and, and allow me to go through those rough passes. So this year and years down the road in my career, I'm going to look back on this and, and say, all right, you know, I, I learned from that and it made me better. And can't thank him enough. And I look forward to you know him continuing to help uh, grow me into the center I want to be. So in the case of Cushenberry, it's something to keep an eye on. We talk about competition at positions making players better. At quarterback, again, I've said this, I don't think it's great for the team because it can divide the locker room, even privately, if not publicly. And you need your first-string quarterback to be determined early in training camp so he can be the clear leader of the offense, if not the team. To have uncertainty at that position, typically, it laid into training camp, it typically doesn't work out well. Not just in Denver, but anywhere. And But competition at other positions can bring out the best in players. That, I will agree. And there is competition at right tackle, where Bobby Massey is the favorite. There is competition at center, where Lloyd Cushenberry is the favorite. But it is something to keep your eye on with Cushenberry, because he's acknowledging that he needs to play better. In the second half of the season, he did. But as I was tweeting about long ago, and you guys were wearing me out on Twitter about Cushenberry, it's just the reality he needs to play better. That's all. If your team is going to have a winning record, you need players to play better, and you need young players to improve dramatically from year one to year two. Coach Gary Kubiak used to tell me that. The most significant improvement a player makes in his career is from year one to year two. That's usually the case. With Garrett Bowles, it was after year th- or during year three. But typically what Coach Kubiak is saying is right, that you will see kind of what a guy's career arc is going to look like if he's going to have staying power based on the adjustments he makes in year two. And speaking of that, speaking of adjustment and improvement, the Broncos defense, 
everyone is going crazy about this defense. Everywhere I was downtown last week talking Broncos. I was going to a Rockies game uh, with my wife and some friends. And when they talk about the Broncos, first question is, what's happening with Aaron Rodgers? What's happening with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke? And the third question is, how good is this defense going to be? And this defense has a chance to be special. I'm not going to say top five because it's a complimentary league and your offense has to be very uh, uh, functional on a weekly basis to allow for a team, for me right now in the current NFL, to have a top five defense because you need to be leading more. But this defense, we had a chance to talk to Josie Jewell about this, and you could see his excited optimism. Alexander Johnson, same thing. Because they see what you see as Broncos country that the team has improved dramatically in the secondary with the addition of Ronald Darby, Kyle Fuller, Pat Sertan. That is a significant improvement over their cornerback play last year. Kareem Jackson returns. Justin Simmons. So now five of the 11 players, pretty solid. Now you have the return of Von Miller. That At age 32, there's no reason he can't be a Pro Bowl player and have 10 sacks. 33-34 gets a little greasy. Not going to lie. But at 32, history says it's possible. In, in his most recent example here is DeMarcus Ware. So that's six players. Bradley Chubb, Pro Bowler, seven players. So now you have the interior of Draymond Jones, a promising young player. Mike Purcell returns from foot injury. He's a run stuffer. I mean, Shelby Harris, one of the best in the league at making plays, batting balls down. Uh, you just start to see, like, wow, this is a 11, our 11 versus your 11. It's pretty darn good. Offensively, that's not always the case when you look across the field. Defensively, you look at 11 versus 11, and honestly, the two we talked to this week, Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell, are considered two that need to improve only because they didn't complement each other well last year. They're both terrific in run stopping and in tackling, sound tackling, and run stuffing. Neither one excels in coverage, and that's left them vulnerable. But that could be filled by Justin Sternod, perhaps a niche role. Maybe they play more dime. Maybe they, you know, with Pat Sertain, you've got that option with Bryce Callahan, healthy. Maybe the, you, you go way more one linebacker and you go sub-package. Uh, I do know from watching them this offseason, they, they look like a defense that's going to be more creative, that Vic Fangio can be more creative based on his personnel. And I hope he did uh, learn from last year that they got to blitz and be aggressive. Uh, I know that wasn't his his uh, basically his acumen for a few years. It maybe was earlier in his career. But if I'm Fangio and I look back at the film, you got to be more aggressive in blitz because it was very successful at times, with especially safety blitzes and blitzing uh, with Josie Jewell. But let's look at some numbers. You want to have optimism about this defense, as you should. It's a time for optimism. It's June. You should have optimism. But there are some numbers that I want to go over. So if you're driving in your car, just let them sink into your brain. Let them sink into your ears. As to how can this Broncos defense make opponents look like an iPhone that's in rice? It's not functioning. Can't take incoming calls. And if it does, it's only robocalls calling about your car warranty. That's the only call that's coming in. That's what you want this defense to do to the opposing offense. And there are some keys here for this to happen. The Broncos need to be better early in games. That's the chance for them to go from an also-ran 
irrelevant, bad and boring, to in the hunt, in the mix, and intriguing. Absent, even, even without Aaron Rodgers. Their schedule would allow for me at nine, a 9-8, nine and 10-7. and seven. I think they're going to go 9-8, and eight, that's my prediction. But the schedule would allow for 10-7. and seven. It's an easy schedule. But let's look at a couple of numbers here. On why they need to start fast. Enough of the sloth routine. Again, if the, the Broncos offense was, a, was a, an animal, it'd be a sloth, and its name would be Monday. I mean, enough already. We're tired of the three and outs. They had 11 first-half touchdowns last year, the Broncos. The Packers had 39. And that's where I want to jump off, right there. When the Broncos have led after the first quarter, in 2019, 5-3, 2023-2, so 8-5 the past two years when leading after the first quarter. When leading after the second quarter, 19, they were 6-3, and 2024 2024-1, 10-4 when leading at halftime the past two years. That gives you a chance. That is a playoff team. 8-5 when lead after the first quarter, 10-4 after the second quarter. There's your answer. Well, and it's even more revealing when you see what happens when they trail and how they are not built, have not been, to come from behind. When trailing after the first quarter, the last two years, 2-12, and 12, including 1-7 and seven a year ago. When trailing after the second quarter, so when trailing at halftime, when you're throwing stuff at the fridge, throwing stuff at the TV, going outside, squeezing the racquetball, wondering why you ever picked a Broncos player on your fantasy league team, you weren't crazy. You weren't crazy to think they were done at halftime when trailing because you know what their record was when they were trailing at halftime the last two years? 1-15. So it wasn't just you. You're not just being critical. It was the reality. If the Broncos were done uh, trailing at halftime, they were, the, for the most part, they're done. Because they averaged 20 points a game. They weren't coming back on teams. So that is the issue when we look at this. When opponents score first, Broncos 4-12. and 12. So that tells you all you need to know. That they need to score early. They need to be even or leading at halftime or first quarter to be in the game because they're not a team that's been built to return, come back from a, a deficit. And then we bring up the defense. We talked about this personnel, why it's so impressive. When winning the turnover margin, it used to be when they won the turnover margin, they never lost. It was some crazy game, like 37, 38 games in a row the Broncos won when they won the turnover margin. Uh, this was prior to the the carousel of you know Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, endless coordinators and uh, both on offense and defense. But they're still really good, as you might imagine, when they win the turnover margin. Six and three the past two years, four and two and 19, two and one last year when they win the turnover margin. When losing the turnover margin, there are four and 13 in the last two seasons, including three and nine a year ago. I mean, it, these numbers are very simple. When they score 20 or more points the last two years, they're 9-5. and five. So they need to lead after the first quarter. They need to have a chance to score 23 to 25 points a game. And they have to win the turnover, mar- turnover battle more consistently. And that's something I asked Josie Jewell about. Because you can't be a great defense, folks, if you don't take the ball away. You can have a crazy number of sacks, 45-50. You can have really good red zone defense. 
Even points per game can be down as it was in 19. But if you're going to be considered a top defense, you have to get takeaways. And in 2019, the Broncos got 17. That ranked 25th. Last year, they had 16. That ranked 29th. That's 33 in two years. That's two fewer than Vic Fangio had in his last year in Chicago. That was a great defense, if you're wondering what it looks like. That was a great defense. And last year they had 16. Six were produced by Justin Simmons, and the team had four in the last game. In a meaningless game against the Raiders. So they had 12 in the first 15 games. I will describe that in terms of winning in two words. No chance. But it's not on the... I don't blame the defense that... If you're not functional offensively and leading or even, the other team does not put its quarterback in harm's way. It makes it more difficult to get turnovers because they throw two-yard passes or they run the football more in the second half because they just trust that we're going to punt and you're not going to go 80 yards. So if the offense is functional, that's number one of this equation. But Josie Jewell, I asked him about this because he's certainly intrigued by this defense on paper. And I asked him, how, what has been the focus? Is it a topic of conversation after the past two years on improving the takeaways? You said you told us you added upper body strength. You look bigger. At what are you playing at a different weight? Then I have a follow up. Um, yeah, so I gained a couple pounds. I think last year I was maybe 233, um, and I've been up to 236, 237, and stuff like that. Um, and we'll just see how I feel during. Uh, these rest of these OTAs and Mandalorian mini camp, and then um, see how I feel during camp to see if I need to shed a few pounds or or stay up there, just depending on what my job's going to be this year. And I can see your excitement about this defense, understandable with the, all the additions. But to be great, you got to get takeaways. Is that a priority? Do you guys talk about that independent of what your offense does? That how do we get more takeaways to change and flip the field? Yeah, that was that was a huge thing last year. Uh, towards the end of the season, we were trying to, their coaches were tr- really trying to instill in us um, and players were trying to talk to each other about it and trying to find out how we get more. Um, and I think this, uh, these OTAs were really working on that to, you know, be able to read eyes, be able to play the defense the best uh, and, and just to be able to understand it and understand how to put ourselves in the best situation, um, you know, maybe on a wide receiver, on a tight end to get that interception or how to be able to attack the ball um, with a running back coming through the hole or somebody just catching the ball and transitioning into their arms, um, how we can poke that ball out. So definitely as a linebacker group, we need more takeaways this year. Uh, this year. And Jewel nailed it. You know, again, we'll see what his role is. Josie's gone from 233 to 237 pounds. He's clearly added upper body strength and uh, muscle in his chest to maybe help him in the run game. He's determined to improve in his second year as a starter. But he's dead on about the takeaways that they are looking for ways to make plays, even now during OTAs, unlodge the ball from the ball carrier, from the receiver, look for ways to make bigger hits, to get the ball out. That's how you become a great defense. It takes pressure off the offense if you can flip the field, but you cannot be great defensively if you're not getting takeaways. And this defense, the personnel, if healthy, should be able to get takeaways. And again, it goes back to leading early and certainly having to lead at halftime. That gives you a chance to get takeaways because in the second half of games, if you're leading, teams have to throw on third down. That brings firmly and squarely into play Von Miller, who guys can't block on Twitter in those situations, and Bradley Chubb, 
Now you can sneak a blitz in. Now you've got your playmakers and your best guys involved in Callahan, in Fuller, in Darby, in Sertan. And so that's what I want to see. I want to see a team that can play even or have a lead at halftime more consistently. It's not going to happen every week to let this defense loose, to be a relentless group and see if they can then get takeaways and they can be great. So that's this week's podcast. Having a little fun with it. We'll have more guests as the days uh, and weeks advance as we lead into training camp. I want to thank my sponsor, Superbook Sports. They are uh, friends of mine, great great folks. Check them out. Also, Darby Hoggett, uh, someone I've known for years, uh, huge Bronco fans. Can't pr- uh, thank him enough for his support of the program. He was day one, first sponsor, followed by Superbook. And I want to thank my son, Dagan, my oldest son. He produces the podcast. He makes these quick turnarounds possible, makes it possible to have two a week. And thank you guys in Broncos country uh, for all your support for the first Uh, Six weeks of the podcast, I promise it's only going to get bigger and better moving forward. Because I do this podcast for you. Happiness, that begins with me. Go out there and have a great day. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.